This, as always at this time of the week, is the Sahaja Yoga Meditation Program. Mike Merritt is on the panel putting the program together, and with me at the microphone is Richard Kennett. I'm Brian Bell. Usually, we start the program with an explanation of Sahaja Yoga, its founder, Srimataji Nirmala Devi, and the nature and values of self-realization. But today, we're going to explore these topics through the experiences of a man who has written a book about his journey from the psychedelic world of the 60s to his union with the spirit. This book is called Expecting to Fly. The author is Patrick Sheridan, and these are the first words of the introduction. I'm not sure why I'm attempting to put spiritual experience into words. Words are limited, but I suppose it's the nature of the experience to want to share and communicate. I've also been fortunate. The unsuspecting seeker has to cross something of a minefield in the search for truth, and I have both survived the journey and found what I was looking for. A friend of mine who read the story I'm trying to tell suggested half-jokingly that I confirm it is a genuine personal account and not a science fiction novel. I guess it is easy to forget how amazing the truth can actually be. As microscopic and insignificant as we might seem in this enormous universe, even greater dimensions of wonder and purpose can unfold within us. I could not have imagined the divine before I experienced it, but the moment I did, it was as if... I had always known it. Should anyone wonder then, everything I have described is the truth as I have experienced it and the experiences themselves are available to anyone. Patrick's early life was spent as son of a British family living in Hong Kong. In the 1950s he hunted snakes in the Second World War tunnels excavated by the Japanese. He roly-polied down the hillsides, saw the destruction wrecked by typhoons, shut himself in a cupboard to hold matches against the paintwork and watch it blister, fell in love with the mysterious smells of incense, and had some narrow escapes from fireworks. 
At the age of 10, Patrick's family returned to England and he went to boarding school, which he did not like. The older I became, the more frightening the world appeared to be. I tended to be ill at ease with strangers, particularly elderly people, and I became more aware of this as I grew older. Generally speaking, I found grown-ups quite odd. They seemed clumsy, gross and boring, and often had peculiar habits that could seem alarming or even perverse. They often smelt strange too, of scent, cigarettes, alcohol and other mysterious things, and their important jobs in the great big outside world seemed somehow tedious, frightening and incomprehensible all at the same time. I had no ambition in the outside world. In fact, I was not attracted to it at all. I've always had difficulty in understanding why people talk about power in terms of political or social position. To me, having power was being able to walk on water and raise the dead. It was not a religious feeling, but a conviction that life should be full of magic and wonder. And it drove me to spend much of my time daydreaming drawing, reading, or writing stories. Well, Patrick took his daydreaming into the swinging 60s. In the town where I was born lived a man who sailed to sea and he told us of his life in the land of submarines so we sailed on to the sun Patrick married under strange circumstances, had a son who was eventually brought up by his parents, became a near-alcoholic, and discovered drugs, including consciousness-altering drugs like LSD. Generally speaking, LSD dissolved or stripped away much of the outer personality in which my sense of self normally dwelt and exposed a deeper, more primal self that felt amazingly alive and aware. All my senses were greatly magnified. Touch, taste, sound and colours were amazingly vivid and emotions greatly heightened. My experiences varied tremendously and I found I could penetrate into different depths of per perception of myself and of my environment. With his intense desire to understand truth and reality, Patrick through LSD found that my senses awash with myriad sensations of subtle intensity while the natural world was extraordinary a rich heady riot of beauty color and fragrance overlaying a still pervasive sense of unhurried ancient sentience and his mind became fluid and creative as if I had entered consciously into realms I had experienced only in dreams 
Did he worry about what was going on? I had complete faith in what I was doing and was surprisingly fearless in my quest for deeper and more profound experience. Until one day he found himself in the middle of a bad trip. He was involved in a huge battle where vast and ugly forces were competing. I found myself spiralling downward. I, I felt blasted and violated, numb and confused. I felt burnt inside and there was a sour taste like ashes in my mouth that stayed with me for days afterwards. Everything was different after that. He felt trapped in his spiritual prison, despondent and depressed. The drugs produced pains and he found himself able to read other people's thoughts. He could turn UFOs, unidentified flying objects, he could, he could turn them on and off for himself and for others. And his world of good friends became peopled with addicts who were only after the big spangled highs and had no interest in discovering truths, the nature of creation and the spirit. These were painful, uncertain times for him. He's a Sitting in his nowhere land Making all his nowhere plans for nobody Making all his nowhere plans for nobody Making all his nowhere plans for nobody One night, among a group of friends who were, believe it or not, up a tree in a property where next day Pink Floyd were holding an open-air performance, well, up this tree, Patrick discovered that two of his psychedelic mentors were going to see an Indian yogi lady rather than attending the Pink Floyd concert. He decided that something very unusual was going on. When he met up with these mentors, he tried to find out more about this yogi lady. They didn't want to talk about her, but were eventually persuaded to take him with them to see her. It turned out we were going to a flat of an Indian Hatha yoga teacher I knew, but when I walked in, I encountered something very different from my expectations and quite unlike anything I had known before. I had anticipated a hushed, mystical atmosphere and was confused instead by an extraordinary Indian lady who seemed ten times more alive than anyone I had met before. My surprise quickly grew into astonishment as I realised that everything around me seemed full of light and I sensed tremendous spiritual power being commanded in the room. As I tried to figure out what was happening, the yogi lady asked me to come forward and she placed her hands on my body. Her manner was cheerful and forthright, but I sensed compassion and concern in her. This one is sick, she announced, spoiling my dramatic entrance, and then, after a pause, don't worry, you will be all right. I felt a surge of relief and realised, to my surprise, that I believed her. For days afterwards, Patrick felt wonderful. With others, he visited the yogi lady again. I had encountered people previously who seemed able to penetrate, interact with or manipulate the vibrational fabric of reality. I had even done a certain amount of it myself, but whenever I was with Srimadaji, for that was the lady's name, 
it was as if the fabric of reality itself was being rewoven all around me. I felt immersed in a rich tapestry of living energy that was being constantly reworked by dancing vibrations of multiple densities and frequencies, and that grew in quality and excellence and with every passing moment. From the meeting with Srimataji, Patrick learned more and more about the nature of Sahaja Yoga and the subtle system that all people possess. And what he learned seemed to be totally at odds with everything he felt about drugs and the psychedelic discoveries. Srimataji's position was basically that drugs damaged the subtle energy system within us and that no one serious about their spiritual ascent could keep taking them. This caused a lot of argument and many of those present aggressively defended the use of drugs. At one point, Srimadji sat back and wrapped her arms about herself in a striking gesture of concern and despair. And I glimpsed a surprising incongruity between the stunning power I had seen her wield and the helpless distress she now displayed. It was as if her power was neutralised by boundaries of individual freedom that she could and would not cross. She looked like a mother surrounded by naughty children and... I made an impulsive decision. Okay, I'll stop, I said, sailing forth into an abrupt and reproachful silence. And Patrick did stop taking drugs. He attended regular meetings with Srimataji, learning more and more. Something that did change permanently from the time of my early encounters with Srimataji was my awareness of a subtle energy flowing through my body. I'd experienced something similar during drug experiences, but... Now it had become a permanent feature in my being, flowing, sometimes faintly and sometimes more strongly, but always present. The other people around Srimadji also appeared to be feeling vibrations in their body, although they seemed aware of a much subtler range of sensations than I was. Srimadji called this vibratory awareness and said the flow of vibrations could feel cool or hot, and that positive or negative indications from energy centres in the body registered in specific fingers and parts of the hands and feet. I felt pain and tension in various places inside my body at times, which Srimadji said were indications from the chakras on a deeper level. She told me that my insensitivity to the subtle variations of vibratory awareness was largely due to the damage to the chakra at the base of my neck which seemed entirely possible, judging by the heavy and sometimes aching tension I often felt in my shoulders, neck and, and jaw. At the other end of the spectrum, I continued to have profound experiences that I greatly treasured, feeling sometimes like a faulty light bulb that flashed on and off at random moments. One minute I would be sitting there feeling uncomfortably numb, and the next moment the floor would become as transparent as glass and I would find myself floating in a delicate lotus on a crystal ocean while a great wind rushed through the room. Srimataji encouraged all the Sahaja yogis in the group to use the vibrations to bring about positive changes in themselves, in each other and in the environment. Patrick writes in his book how surprised he was to find how practical and down-to-earth Srimataji was. She consistently related any spiritual subject to the subtle energy system within each human being and maintained that a high spiritual state depended on the condition of this system or, 
more correctly on our ability to maintain and develop it. She spent much of her time working on this subtle system and showing us how to experience it for ourselves. Patrick points out how other gurus tend to keep their power and knowledge to themselves while dispensing cryptic comments and demonstrating unearthly powers. But Srimatiji... With her hands-on approach and her open sharing of knowledge seemed totally different. Still, the significance of much that she said eluded me, partly because of the difficulty I had in understanding Srimatiji's declaration that the vibratory awareness she was demonstrating was self-realization. For me, this term meant the be-all and end-all of everything. It was nirvana, liberation, oneness with God. It was not feeling quite nice and experiencing unusual physical sensation in various parts of the body. At this time, Patrick had a very clear picture in his mind what self-realization and the spiritual ascent meant. But it wasn't long before Shrimataji made him realize that the spiritual ascent had nothing to do with the mind, communicating with spirits, or seeing auras and visions. The center path was one of pure awareness, of expanding the depth and quality of consciousness in the here and now. It was thoughtless awareness, the meditative state and direct vibratory awareness of the chakras. Not until the ascent was complete would we be able to see into all the dimensions of existence, she said, for then they would be part of our being. To seek them out before this, as I had through drugs, was to move away from the centre into illusion, confusion and disintegration. And to help gain and retain the balance, Srimatiji recommended a mantra, the Lord's Prayer.
We're looking into Patrick Sheridan's book, Expecting to Fly. And we've learned how much he changed and developed through the wisdom, love and humour of Srimataji Nirmala Devi. Early in 1977, Patrick travelled with Srimataji and a number of other Sahaja yogis to India, where they toured, helped with programmes, met fellow Sahaja yogis and grew in spirit. Then back in London, late in the summer of 1977, Srimataji informed us that the time had come to have a public meeting, which was something I regarded with a fair amount of trepidation. She had never made any secret of the fact that she was in investing time and effort in us so that we could do the same for others further down the line and that she wanted to meet as many seekers as possible. God has done a lot for you, she would say. You have to do something in return and the only thing you can do for God is to give realisation to others. In the summer of 1977, the group of seekers who had gained their realisation over the preceding months and years hired a large room in Caxton Hall in London and put advertisements in Time Out magazine. Over 200 people turned up and, after an introduction, Shramataji talked in this sort of way. I bow to all the seekers of truth. <clears throat> At the very outset, I have to say that truth is what it is. You cannot change it. You cannot describe it. And you cannot conceptualize it. It is, it has been, and it will be. Now whatever I'm going to tell you today, you need not accept it blindfolded. We have had enough of trouble with blind faiths. But you must keep your mind open like a scientist and if it proves to be all right, if it proves what I'm saying, as honest people, you must accept it. Because it is for the benevolence of your being, for the benevolence of your city, of your country, of the whole world. <coughs> now, I would like to tell you what is the truth. The truth is that you are not this body, this mind, this ego, these conditionings, you are not that. But you are the pure spirit. This is the first truth about you. And the second truth is that there is an all-pervading power of divine love. I hope you are all hearing me all right. Are you all right? There's an all-pervading power of divine love. It's called by various names in the scriptures. For example, in the Bible it's called as the cool breeze of the Holy Ghost. Also all-pervading power of divine love. 
is called as Ru in Quran. In Sanskrit it is called as Brahma Chaitanya or Ritambara Pragya by Patanjali Yoga Shastra. Names can be anything, means the same thing. That there is a subtle power, very dynamic power of divine love which does all living work. For example, see these beautiful flowers, yeah. It's a miracle. These flowers have come out of a small plant and the plant has come out of a little seed and every flower is different. Every type of a flower is different. Then who runs our heart? We never ask this question. It's a living process. Who runs our heart? The doctors will say it's an autonomous nervous system. But what is this autonomous nervous system? Who is the auto behind it? Everything that is living, we take it for granted. Even the scientists don't enter that area because they know they can't find anything there. So how this living process is done is a very miraculous thing which we accept without knowing about it. But is this all-pervading power, which is very subtle and does this in every living action, it is there. Also it acts on the matter in a way, like vibrations, we know isometric, symmetric, all these vibrations are there. Now to say that God doesn't exist is very easy to say that. But it's not proper, it's not scientific. Because you have not found out if there is God or not God. Without seeing that, without finding it, if we just say that there is no God, then I think it's not proper. There is a way to find it out. Very simple way is as Stephen has already told you, we have this kind of a mechanism within us built in during our evolutionary process. In the evolutionary process, we have become human beings. But we do not know the absolute truth. We don't know. That's why the problem. Some say communism is good, some say capitalism is good, some say Christianity is good, some say Islamic is good. All kinds of things people talk. That means everybody has a yarn in the head which they start putting before us. It's just a mental projection. It is nothing to do with the Absolute. If it was Absolute, everybody would have, everybody would have agreed to it or accepted it. Now, I am sitting before you. Is a fact. You know it for truth. So nobody is going to say, night I am not sitting here. In the same way, if you know the absolute truth, then there cannot be any quarrel, fights, any arguments, no wars. This is the state we have to reach now where we all know the absolute truth. And this is the absolute truth which I have told you already, what you are. As a result of this happening, when you get connected 
through the awakening of this kundalini this power is called kundalini because kundal means a coil it's a primordial mother expressing herself as a reflection we have a concept of a father all right we have a concept of a son all right but we have no mother that's the holy ghost has to be but in all other religions except for islam and you can say the jews jews also have the concept of the primordial mother they have motherhood but they i don't know why they evaded the problem of talking about the mother the primordial mother so this is the reflection of the primordial mother in your triangular bone which is called as sacrum that means the greek knew that it was a sacred bone why should they call it sacrum of all the things and i found out it was so now the whole religion also the concept of religion becoming mental it has gone astray religion is within you may be a christian hindu muslim anything you can commit any sin if religion had anything in it everyone who follows a particular religion would have been sinless but they are not so that means that religion has to be awakened within us it has to be an innate religion whatever religion it is should be innate which is not innate and that's why whatever religion we may follow we do not fall into line with what is said in the religion now sahaja yoga you must have told us sir means with and joy is born with you this right to become one with this all pervading power we have no idea at all how glorious we are what properties we have what powers we have what is in us we have no idea at all i would say what we are capable of because we are still not one with that all pervading power once this is awakened it passes through all these six centers nourishing them now the centers the energy centers are our fundamentals the problems of the world if you see most of them come from human beings those who have no peace within how can they have peace without in the same way there are so many things which are said which are not there we know about priests in every religion are about immoral about some are less some are more how can you be you are a priest you are teaching something nice and inside you are immoral it is in every religion is nothing new that means they are just preaching it's just like a radio something coming out but nothing inside and that's why many people feel that religion is useless god is useless that's what they felt in communistic countries when we don't know ourselves how can we talk about anything like we say this is my house this is my car this is my wife this is my husband everything my but where is this i to which all this belongs 
So we have to go within. And how can we go within? Is the point. To go within is impossible. If I say that, please take your attention inside, you cannot take it. So this happening takes place, that this Kundalini rises. By that happening, your attention is pulled inside. And when she rises, she pierces through this fontanel bone area, and you are in contact with this all-pervading power. First thing happens that you start feeling cool breeze coming on your fingertips. You start feeling cool breeze coming out of your own head. You are amazed at it, but the experience is very peaceful. You feel extremely relaxed and the eyes start sparkling. As a result of this happening, the first thing happens to you that you become peaceful, absolutely. How? See, actually we are thinking all the time our thoughts rise, fall, rise, fall. In between these thoughts there's a little space. When we are thinking, we are thinking about the future or about the past, not about the present. We cannot think. So when this Kundalini rises, then these thoughts get elongated and this space increases. And that's the place where you become thoughtlessly aware. You are aware, but you are thoughtless. That's the place where you are in the present and you are peaceful. And that's the state where you grow spiritually. Shiratiji regularly arranged concerts of Indian music for the London Sahaja Yogis, concert by sita players, singers, and like here, flute players. At the end of her public talks, Shumatiji would ask for questions and would answer them with precision and warmth. Then she would offer, for those who desired it, their self-realization. She would ask people to place their hands palm upward on their lap and sit comfortably. Not very tightly. And till I tell you, please, don't open your eyes. Please put your right hand on your heart. Here, you have to ask me a very fundamental question about yourself. Three questions, three times. 
three times you have to ask. You can call me mother or you can call me Shri Mataji, whatever you like. So ask a question, mother, am I the spirit? Please ask this question in your heart three times. Mother, am I the spirit? All right. You are the spirit, then you are your master. So now please take your right hand on top of your center, which is placed in the upper portion of your abdomen, on the left hand side. Now press it there and ask another fundamental question, Mother, am I my own master? Ask this question three times. Mother, am I my own master? Ask this question three times. I've already told you that I respect your freedom and I cannot force pure Divine knowledge on you. You have to ask for it. So take your right hand in the lower portion of your abdomen on the left hand side and here you have to ask six times because this center has got six petals. <coughs> Mother, please give me pure Divine knowledge. Ask six times. Mother, please give me pure divine knowledge. As soon as you ask this question, the Kundalini starts rising. So now we have to nourish the higher centers with our self-confidence. Raise your right hand in the upper portion of your abdomen on the left hand side. Here you have to say with full self-confidence ten times, Mother, I am my own master. Please say this ten times with full confidence. already told you at the very outset that you are not this body, this mind, these emotions, this intelligence, this ego and conditionings, but you are the pure spirit. So now raise your right hand on the left hand side on your heart and here you have to say with full confidence again twelve times, Mother, 
I am the pure spirit. Mother, I am the pure spirit. Please say this twelve times. I have told you that this all-pervading power is the ocean of knowledge, ocean of compassion, ocean of bliss. But above all, it is the ocean of forgiveness and whatever mistakes you have committed can be easily dissolved by it. So please forgive yourself and put your right hand in the corner of your neck and your shoulder and turn your head to your right. Here you have to say again with full confidence sixteen times, Mother, I am not guilty at all. Please say this. Mother, I am not guilty at all. Please say it sixteen times. I have already explained that whether you forgive or you don't forgive, you don't do anything. <coughs> but if you don't forgive, then you play into wrong hands. And at this moment especially, you should forgive so that this Agya Chakra, which is a very constricted center, will open out. So, here, now you put your right hand on top of your forehead and put it down. Put it down, put down your head, please. Here you have to say, <coughs> not how many times, but from your heart you have to say, Mother, I forgive everyone. And don't think about the people whom you have to forgive. Just say, Mother, I forgive everyone in general. Don't think about them. I find this is the most constricted center here. Please, please forgive, otherwise you'll miss the point. From your heart, just say, Now please take your right hand on the back side of your head and push back your head. This is the center where you have to ask forgiveness from the Divine Power, without feeling guilty, without counting your mistakes, just for your satisfaction. So here you say again from the heart, not how many times, O oh, Divine Power, please forgive me. If I have done anything wrong, knowingly or unknowingly, O oh, Divine Power, please forgive me. If I have done anything wrong, knowingly or unknowingly, say it from your heart, not how many times is not the point. Now, Stretch your palm fully 
and put it the center of your palm on the fontanelle bone area, which was a soft bone in your childhood. Now press back your fingers as far as possible. And with the pressure, move your scalp. But before doing that, please put down your head. Now here, <coughs> again, I cannot force self-realization on you. You have to ask for it. So move your hand so that you move the scalp well with a pressure, saying seven times, Mother, please give me self-realization. Move it clockwise, slowly. Push back your fingers, push back your fingers. Now take down your hands and slowly open your eyes, please. Now, put both the hands towards me like this, like that. Now, please put down your head and see for yourself with the with the left hand first. See with the left hand if there's a cool or a hot breeze coming out of your fontanelle bone area. It may be very close to your head, but it should, should be above, not on top. Your hand should be above. Please bend your head. Or some people get it very far also. Whichever way you move your hand and see for yourself. Now, please put the left hand towards me. You have to bend your head, otherwise it doesn't show well. Please put the left hand towards me and put down your head and see if there's a cool or a hot breeze-like sensation or energy coming out of your head. Just see yourself. first London public program changed everything for Patrick Sheridan as he reports in his book Expecting to Fly. Srimanaji finished speaking and I felt the vibrations envelop everything in the hall in a great cocoon of compassion and auspiciousness. Then she was off stage and down among the audience working on people. We followed in her wake without time to think and plunged into a sea of people awash with energy. The next hour or two were very intense and quite wonderful. 
a lot of interesting people were there and Sri Mataji spent time with almost everyone talking to them and working on them. By the end of the evening, everything was different. It felt as if everyone in the hall was part of one big family and I had a distinct sense that Sahaja Yoga had changed gear and evolved into something new. It was the end of our exclusive access to Sri Mataji, but we did not begrudge it. We were happy to share what we had with others. And those early programs made something else clear to Patrick. Shumadaji explained that when on mass realization was triggered by the evolutionary process and the Sahasrara chakra at the crown of the head began to open, spirituality ceased to be about individual ascent and became part of a collective event. And it wasn't just new people who felt different. The field of vibrations was much stronger when we Sahaja Yogis were together and the influx of new people seemed to create an even more powerful field of vibrations in our collective awareness. And wonderful changes take place in Patrick. Here are some words he recorded in those early days, 1977. Suddenly, the sun was shining in my heart and I am filled with joy and a zest for life I have not felt for years. I feel great, fully alive again and for long glorious hours I revel in the rebirth of the immaculate, magical beauty in my soul. Do not know what to do. Should I go to work or maybe stay on the circle line of the London Underground and go round and round all day? I don't really care. I'm happy just to exist. So I make my way to work anyway. And here, finally, is an experience that Patrick wrote about at the same time shortly after a special festival that was held to celebrate Srimataji's birthday. He's walking past a photograph of Srimataji that they had at work, and he stopped. The picture seemed to come to life. He felt he had awoken abruptly out of a dream. My eyes feel incredibly relaxed and fused with a blissful energy that permeates everything in existence. Light flows through them in a tangible stream. My vision merges with a subtle new field of perception that lifts the veil of the everyday world with a feather-like touch, penetrating its illusory nature. For a moment, a long moment, I glimpse a stunning divine reality, a luminous existence of wondrous bliss that forms the foundation of this physical existence, yet flows eternally far beyond anything we know. A profound recognition rocks me to the core of my being. I know I have touched the divine. And I want desperately to grasp this bliss, to seize this vision revealed so unexpectedly before me. I cannot cling to it, however, and fall away from it. Immediately afterwards, looking again at Srimadaji's photograph, I realise that something remains open or awakened in me. I find myself looking at the Agya Chakra in the centre of Sri Mataji's forehead. It has become beautiful and golden and my attention seems somehow to roll or be drawn effortlessly upwards in a blissful sensation of surrender and release. Awe fills me as Sri Mataji's face becomes timeless and golden. The essence of authority, nobility, dignity, beauty 
and love itself. Is this the reflection of the divinity within my own soul? I don't know. I know only that I have entered the kingdom of God. There seems little to add, so let us spend the last few minutes of the program in meditation. Take the attention to the top of the head, sit comfortably, rest the hands palm upward on the lap, and enjoy the peace and joy of mental silence. Excerpts Richard Kennett has been reading are from Expecting to Fly by Patrick Sheridan. This book can be bought from the London Depository and Amazon. Well, this is the end of our program. A reminder that if you want more information about Sahaja Yoga, then freemeditation.com.au, www.freemeditation.com.au. There you can get any information about uh, local programs and so on. And remember, as uh, Patrick found out, as he reports in his book, that collective or meditating together with other people is such a joyous thing to do. Well, until this time next week, happy meditations and goodbye. <laughs>